0: I love studying the book of Ecclesiastes for many reasons. You know, most of us live our lives outside of the worship assemblies. We meet together for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday night, an hour on Wednesday evening. There are other times when we assemble together for uh, gospel meetings and vacation Bible schools. But we're Christians 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And we are God's servants, and we ought to act like it. We ought to think like it. We ought to make sure that we as his people do what God wants us to do. We read his word with the idea in mind that it gives us some guidance. It gives us some direction about how to think and how to do things. Life is difficult to live and to understand. What should I say? When should I say it? How should I react to those who are in places of power within the Lord's body, within the government, within the home? How should I react to the things that I find myself confronted with? Knowing which path in life to follow is not always easy. I will tell you that sometimes there are choices between pleasure and pain, and you might say, well... You always ought to choose the more difficult pain, but that's not always the case. There's also the choice between being reckless versus being responsible. Solomon looks at people whose lives are reckless. They're not planned. They're not thought. They're not shaped by God's Word. Sometimes we even ask the question, does it matter how I live? I look at others and I see how they're doing and I see people who are doing things they ought not to do and they seemingly do well and I see people who are striving to live a godly, faithful life and it appears that they're suffering as if they were the wicked. The preacher, Solomon, pondered all the aspects of life and he's trying to help us get a grasp An understanding of the real meaning of life and what it is all about. Let's study Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to look at four things in this chapter. The first one being from verse 1, an observation. Then we want to look at verses 2 through 9 and our obligation toward those who are in positions of power. Then we want to look at the objective for man in verses 10 through 14 And then finally, something that is obscure. How do I know what God wants and how can I figure out things? Let's begin with verse 1. Solomon writes, Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's face may shine, or wisdom makes a man's face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. Now, um, he asked the question, who knows the interpretation of a thing? When you look at the word interpretation, you may have heard the term used before, because if anybody's ever described on television, you've been to visit the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit that was in Murfreesboro, you know that they use the word pesher, and that's a Hebrew word that's here translated interpretation. It's used to describe the commentaries on the Dead Sea Scrolls. But what it really means is someone who has found a solution. You found the answer. You found the interpretation. You approach God's Word and He's asking the question... Who knows the interpretation? Who knows the solution? Who knows the answer, if you will, of a thing? Now you have to remember that when Solomon wrote this, there's no chapter and verse divisions. And you put verse 29 with it from chapter 7. And he said, Truly this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes, or they've sought out many inventions Man is here and rather than doing what God wants him to do, he's looking and he's saying, okay, what kind of solution can I find of myself? And then he says the face shines and the sternness is now changed. A man who thinks himself wise, aha, I've got the answer. I always think of the little man that runs out of the cartoons, Eureka, Eureka, I found it, I found it. The wise man's face will reflect the accomplishment of his investigation. Look what I found. Let me show it to you. But it's only by God's revelation that one can come to that level of excitement. It's only by realizing that God knows the answers and man doesn't. we will see that when we get to the latter part of this chapter. I want to move to verses 2 through 9 because he's going to make an observation with regards to man and the world in which we live. He said, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of the king is there is power and who may say to him what are you doing he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment because for every matter there is a time and a judgment though the misery of man's increases greatly for he does not know what will happen so who can tell him when it will occur no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit and no one has power over the day of his death there's no release from war and the wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which man rules over another to his own hurt. Now, Solomon is talking about submitting to the authority of the king. And the truth is, is that if you want to be honest, most of us do not like someone telling us what to do. Whether it's the government or whether it's, for instance, maybe in our family. I know most of us can reflect back on the time when we were probably about 14 to 18 years of age. You remember how you thought somebody tried to tell you what to do and how to do it. And your mother and your daddy will look down at you and say, It's not wise for you to try to cross me, son. It's not wise for you to to try to do differently. And that's what he's looking at. And yet if we lived in a world without authority, what a chaos we would have. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You let the world have no authority and see what would happen very quickly. Jeremiah observes that it's not a man who walks to direct his own steps. The truth is we need Authority. We need the authority of the government, we need the authority of the home, and we need authority in the church as well. Government is good. God ordained it. And that's what Solomon is trying to say. You're living your daily life, what kind of life are you going to live? And God expects us to live up to the oath that you and I have made. And that means is that we respect the government for its role in our lives. Let every soul that be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities which exist or that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Do you see what Solomon is trying to say in this section? As he observes man and he observes keeping the oaths that man has. But then he looks and he says, Do not be hasty. To go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil thing. This idea of going hasty means I'm unhappy with the way the government does things. I'm going to defect, I'm going to go away, or I'm going to be express my dissatisfaction. Taking a stand in an evil thing. Do you really think you're going to be successful Does one think that he can somehow resist the authorities and get away with it? I know there are people who believe that, but it will not stand. To stand for an evil thing is to challenge the authority over us. Man is not in a position to withstand or challenge the king's decree. He said where the power is at is in the king, is in his voice. Submission is what God expects from us. He says, a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. If you go back to chapter 3, he explains there that there's seasons and times for various things. And in this context, the king will eventually answer for his choices, but you have to answer for yours Are there things that our government is doing that is sinful and ungodly and wrong? Yes, there is. Our government officials will answer for that. We will answer for what we do. And God knows what the government will and can do. Ecclesiastes 3.17, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. There's a time when God will right the wrongs and he will fix what is broken. But there's limitations to their authority. The king or anyone else does not have the ability to prevent himself from dying. We can get to verse 8. And he talks about there's no one who has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, there's no one who has power over the day of his death. Kings, as powerful as they are and all the money that they have and all of the power they will, they can't stop that. You remember in Isaiah chapter 38, King Hezekiah, he was told to set his house in order because he would die and not live. He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. You know why he prayed to the Lord? Because God was the only one who had the power to change that. You and I cannot choose to live forever. You and I cannot even choose to make our lives last five years, ten years longer. The truth is that kings are only limited in their power. In chapter 49, verses 6-10 through of Psalms, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for him for their redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. No one is able to prevent that from happening. And just as a person engaged in a war may not be released, wickedness will not release a sinner either. Here's a man who engages in a battle, and the battle is coming to him, and he's fighting the war. And um, can he decide, okay, now I want you to turn let me go home. No, no, he's, he's in the battle, he's got to fight it. You and I, as we're fighting against wickedness in our life, we can't turn around and say, okay, I'm ready to leave. John 8 and verse 34, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants, or slaves of corruption, by whom a person is overcome, by him is he also brought into bondage. You and I have to fight every day to not allow sin to conquer us and take us. And then he ends this section by saying, one man rules over another to his own hurt. You see, those who are in positions of power many times do things to their own detriment. Many times, those who are in positions of power find themselves doing things that eventually come back and make their lives even worse. Just like the rich in chapter 5, verse 13, there's a severe evil that I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner, by their owner to their hurt. Sometimes people want power so much that it corrupts them and it actually becomes their master. Now let's look at verses 10 through 14 and let's look at the objective that is here. For I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Because a sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. There's a vanity which occurs on the earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. And again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said this also is vanity. Now, ideally, justice ought to be blind. And every transgression, every sin should be punished appropriately. But yet the truth of the matter is is that in life that is rarely the case. In fact, we often will see people who are trying to do right suffer for it. We see people who are doing wrong prosper for it. He speaks about the wicked are often honored in their death. Now why would that happen? Why would a man live a life of ungodliness and now be put up on a pedestal? That just doesn't make sense to us. The wicked's actions are often forgotten in the very place where they were performed. You know, a man mistreated people, mistreated people, mistreated people. And then what do you find? He finds that, Somehow they erect a monument for him. Then he gives a picture. He said justice is not executed speedily. We would paraphrase it to say that justice delayed is justice denied. When you don't execute the wicked speedily, what happens? Everybody thinks, well, there's no consequences to it. We live in a world where It doesn't appear that a people suffer for what they do that is wrong. So sinners seemingly multiply their sins and keep getting away with it. And you're thinking, Solomon's right. He sees a world where you want to have right done. But see, he turns and says, objectivity exists with God. God doesn't move the bar and say, okay, well for this person I'll let it pass, for this person here I'll make him pay. The truth is, is that when you start looking at scriptures, God's word tells us that God is fair with everybody. Romans 2, 5 through 11, but in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. God is looking at both sides. And then he goes on to say, tribulation and anguish and on every soul who does evil to the Jew first and also of the Greek glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 11, the key verse. For there's no partiality in God. God does not do things like man does. You look in this world and, and the rulers who rule. Will they sometimes let a man get by with things? Yes. Will they sometimes punish him? But that's not the way it is with God. Job 34, verse 19, Yet he's not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. You see, God looks at us, all of us, even because in reality, there's none of us better than anybody else. The fact that you may have accumulated more money or less money does not make any difference in God's hands because it all ultimately belongs to him anyway. On this earth there's frustration because the righteous are often unrewarded and the wicked are unpunished. I remember in school thinking certain kids got away with everything. We call them the teacher's pet. Other kids did one thing and then all of a sudden the wrath and the fury of the teacher came down on that child. And then you think, I don't think this is fair. Of course, I might have a little bit of selected memory. I'd imagine most of us do. But be assured, God will right all wrongs. Now, we've looked at those first three points. You looked at the observation. You looked at this obligation to be obedient. You see, the objective is you want righteousness for the righteous. And you want punishment for the wicked. But now you get to the challenge of this. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Just three verses. But oh, how much power is within them. So I commended enjoyment. Because man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. Now listen carefully to verses 16 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it moreover though a wise man attempts to know it he will not be able to find it now while solomon ponders a full of understanding of god's ways some of it has been obscured from man's sight i'll tell you how i think sometimes i think i've got all the solutions this world needs if they'd just do what I'd tell them to do, everything would work fine. You know what the reality is? That'd be just as bad a mistake as anybody else's would be. But you see, like Job, some of us look and we speculate and we think if God did it this way, it would be better. Of course, you do remember God's response to Job in Job chapters 38 through 42. He talks about a considerable effort Being applied. He said, I applied my heart to know wisdom. He said, to see the business that is done on the earth. No sleep, day or night. You know, I'm I'm giving myself to try to figure this out. You have to trust God and enjoy what He has given you. I'm in a world that not everything is just, not everything is fair. I do know that I can trust God and I've got to trust that one day He will make it all work. Living in an unjust world can be both frustrating and frightening. Frustrating because we can't fix everything we want to fix. Frightening because sometimes things happen to us that we don't understand and we don't understand why. And Solomon is saying, trust God Sometimes, I'll confess to you, I wonder why God doesn't just bring this world to an end. When I see people in the Middle East chopping the heads off of people, when I see homosexuals marching in the streets, when I see little babies being killed in our country for the pleasure of men and women, when I see people greedy and I see those people do well, I see them elected to office. I see them in positions of power. God, why don't you just bring this world to an end? Solomon is trying to help us to think more correctly. Ultimately, we have to recognize there are things for us to know and things that we cannot know. Let me give you a couple passages Right after Jesus ascended back to the Father, or excuse me, prior to ascending back to the Father, the disciples wanted to know if the Lord was at that point going to restore the kingdom. And here's the way He responded. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. It's not for you to know. I've got to realize that there's some things that God has reserved for Himself and I don't know it. I can stay up day and night. I can calculate. I can figure. And there are things that God has not told me and that I will not understand until we get to eternity. When Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, he said in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The fact that I don't know everything, that I can't understand everything, doesn't mean that I can't understand some things. I can understand what God wants me to know. And here's what God wants us to know. You and I have violated His law. You and I are sinners. You and I need God's forgiveness. The second thing He wants us to know is that He made a plan and provision for it. His plan, His provision was the sending of Jesus to die on the cross For our sins. He also wants us to know. What we need to do. In order to receive. That forgiveness. It involves belief in his son. The repenting of our sins. The confessing of our faith. And the being baptized. For the remission of our sins. That's what God wants us to know. He also wants us to know that. When we sin, after we become his children, he still loves us. He still cares for us. In fact, the reason why I know that God has not come to this point is because of Second Peter three nine. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It may be that you tonight need to become a Christian. I know we've got people in our audience who have not yet obeyed the gospel. I don't know what stands between you and that decision. I don't know what kind of words you would need someone to say to you to try to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. Let me say to you, if you let this opportunity pass, you may not have another But at any time of the day or the night, you feel like I need to obey the gospel, we're available. But if you're a Christian, you're carrying a burden of sin with you. God wants you to come home. He wants you to be saved. We're going to sing number 207. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, please come as we together stand and sing.